Ayushi Mona and you're listening to India Booked, a podcast where we lean into the idea of India through its literature and we speak to authors who bring this to life. Hello everyone, I am Ayushi Mona, your host at India Booked, a podcast where we discuss India through the eyes and voice of its literature. Today I have on the show with me Arunava Sinha. Those of you um, who don't know, Arunava is a literary translator with around 50 books under his um, belt as well as the Associate Professor of Creative Writing and Literary Journalism at Ashoka. He's a books editor at Scroll. In his past life, he was a journalist born in Calcutta and I think now in Delhi for over a couple of decades. Arunava translates classic, modern and contemporary Bengali fiction and non-fiction into English. He's also done, if I'm not mistaken, a book um, from English to Bangla. Welcome to the show, Arunava. Thank you, Ayushi. Thank you for having me here. So, Arunava, for me, the show is particularly interesting because so far, all the episodes that I've done typically follow this pattern of, you know, me reading one particular book or two particular books by the author and then, you know, speaking to them about it. Uh, and then it, it's very driven by the theme that they've written on, so whether it's an insurgency or whether it's history. In your case, uh, I think uh, this is my first session where we're not discussing a specific book but really a city and a culture uh, through, you know, uh, the dozens and dozens of books uh, that you've reviewed. So I think for me, the first question to you is um, what uh, what made you want to translate and, and bring uh, Bengali literature into the mainstream in English? I don't think any translator can actually answer that question with accuracy because it is something that you, and I've exchanged notes with translators all over the world. It is something that you find yourself doing because of an accident or a request or circumstances. In my case, I think I was aware of the fact that much of what I was reading of world literature was translated. So it did tickle my curiosity in terms of what, you know, who are these translators? How do they do what they do? This was during college. But uh, immediately after college, I became part of a team that launched a city magazine in Calcutta. It was called Calcutta Skyline. And one of the things we did there was to publish one Bengali short story in translation in English every month. And that was how I actually started translating. So the objective was not very grand in terms of taking uh, Bengali literature into English to readers the world over or anything. It was just to uh, ensure that we had a literary section in our city magazine. However, you know, what is really interesting to me is that uh, while you might not have started with these grand designs, in the process and in this journey, uh, you've managed uh, to translate a lot of Bengali greats. I, uh, I read Chuarangi years ago. And uh, of course, I would not have been able to read it without your magical touch on it. Uh, for me, what is really fascinating, and and since you did mention the literary section, uh, you know, in the magazine, is that Calcutta does feature very prominently uh, in even uh, the imagination of non-Bengalis as a city of literature. So whenever my book club meets, uh, 
very often the authors that are and you know the most popular commercial authors that are discussed are say a jhumpa lahiri or a amitav ghosh and these are of course people who while no longer live in calcutta or kolkata or bengal right of bengal however it's not a very contemporary picture um uh, for say somebody like a uh, jhumpa lahiri it, it's it's more personal and it's a, a middle class interior life in a bengali home versus somebody like an amitav ghosh for whom the city is really like a plot catalyst in something like a shadow lines for you um, having read the obviously the volume of books you have that feature the city and worked on translating them uh, what does calcutta in the literary imagination mean uh, for you uh specifically um yeah well that's that that could um, entire books could be written to answer that it's interesting that a lot of the writing in india uh, fiction writing both in bangla and in english has come from people who started their lives or have some relationship with calcutta so you not only have the two writers you mentioned jhumpal airi and amitav ghosh but you also have amit choudhury for example who did not grew up in calcutta grew up in bombay but whose roots in calcutta were so strong that he went back to live there later on in his life and almost all his books have something to do with calcutta you have other writers like rajkamal jha who is from calcutta does not overtly write about calcutta but again you can see the sensibilities in whatever he writes in his fiction and you have a bunch of other people who will turn out to have despite not having bengali surnames who will turn out to have some connection with the city so that's fairly um, obvious given the fact that bengal and calcutta in particular was a strong seat of learning and education and reading and culture up until i think maybe the 90s at least so it then naturally this has produced a whole stream of writers for me calcutta is the seat of many of the books that i have translated and you know uh, despite the fact that we talk about bengal and bengali the bengali language it is a little bit of a sad truth that almost all of the writing is concentrated in calcutta i mean there's a great deal of writing from elsewhere in, in the state but not much of it has made it to the mainstream in either the bengali language or for that matter in for the translation so inevitably almost every bengali writer who's been translated into other languages has ended up in calcutta even if they were not born there it is interesting that a lot of the classic writers in bangla actually were not from calcutta so let's say vibhuti bhushan was not born in calcutta tara shankar was not from calcutta shothinath bhaduri was not from calcutta shothinath bhaduri in fact was from a part of what is now jharkhand or bihar i'm not sure one of the two um so he grew up very much in a hindi speaking area sharodindu bandopadhyay the creator of bomkesh spent a lot of his time in what is now bihar um so you know the hinterland was culturally very rich at one point but from the 1950s or 60s onwards largely it became calcutta centric so for me calcutta is is the theater of this vast drama of human life which has yielded a great deal by way of literary material and if you look at the different arenas and i'm sure we will uh, explore some of these in greater detail as we go along but if you look at the different arenas it's it's quite fascinating so you have the corporate world which was very strong and vibrant up until the 19 late 1970s early 1980s you have politics of course you cannot have calcutta without politics you have left politics you have ultra left politics 
you have um, the high life you have the middle class life you have the low life even i'm mean, the low life in a in a not in a derogatory sense but i'm just talking about different sections of society um you have entire novels set in slums entire novels set in grand hotels uh, entire novels set in middle class areas you have sports which plays a very significant part you have one of the finest writers of finest women writers in the country ever writing about middle class life within four walls in calcutta homes i'm talking about ashapurna devi um you have uh, people writing a great deal of historical fiction who look at the history of calcutta and the history of bengal but calcutta is always in their um in is, is their focal point no matter what they are writing about you have uh, tagore himself setting some of his fiction in calcutta so the, the city has been a, a, a crucible and and the motivator of for writers over what more than 120 or 130 years now you know while i was listening to you speak right now um, i was also scribbling furiously because i think uh, just the num- you know the volume of names that you threw arunava was it's such a good guide um, on what to read next i have found that increasingly uh, you know people discuss the same 20 or 30 books on social media and uh, and bookshops can aren't really optimized for giving recommendations to enthusiastic readers so i think while i was listening to you speak about why calcutta grew um and has this presence in literature uh, in in the literary imagination and what it means uh, i also thought that the the kind of recommendations and authors you mentioned are such a good place for you know an amateur reader or somebody who enjoys even reading um uh, or calls himself a hard and bibliophile would find fascinating would you say that the whole contemporary aspect i think that you spoke of in terms of the character's growth is something that is perhaps missing today is there a certain i don't know a nostalgic hangover uh, that perhaps uh, sees less of contemporary writing and is it due to say this whole you know flux of most writers writing about bengal or calcutta writing not while living in calcutta because obviously contemporary calcutta is uh, a place that has not really grown uh, you know in in some ways uh, so we do see emergence of a lot of mumbai uh, based books recently you know whether it's a catherine fu or amita mahale uh, there's a lot of writing about bombay in the now i and perhaps this is my ignorance is there a lot of writing about calcutta in the now or is it is it largely driven by writers who already written about calcutta or who are writing uh, living in other cities well you're right if you're talking about uh, indian writing in english which is that many of the writers who were from calcutta have now moved on they live their lives elsewhere and therefore their relationship with calcutta has changed either they are visitors they have occasional intersections with the city and its present reality or they delve into their own memories and they come up with combination of personal history and nostalgia and perhaps in some cases cold clear-eyed look and a critical look at the past but that is not the case with writers who are writing in bangla they're still very much living their present lives into their you know adding sort of building their present lives into their fiction so you do see 
those settings being contemporary. Um, unfortunately, perhaps present day life is not as interesting and exciting as it was 20 or 30 years ago. I'm not sure why, but it does not seem to be, which is why many people's arcs, literary and artistic arcs have shrunk rather than embracing, uh, you know, a whole cross section of an urban milieu. They have shrunk to smaller spaces, both physically and emotionally. So much of the writing is now self-obsessed and more concerned with what an individual is going through, what their hopes and aspirations are what their conflicts are. And sometimes some of that can get quite annoying to read, to be honest, because how many stories of personal difficulties and personal journeys and so on would you be interested in? But on the other hand, there are equally a number of writers and some of them are quite experimental writers in Bangla who are out of the mainstream, uh, who are writing, who are, who are pitting, locating their fiction in very interesting spaces. Like, for example, there's been a number of stories uh, featuring gangsters or featuring petty criminals or featuring the mafia that uh, the collusion between politicians and uh, you know agent land agents and local young men who are recruited by politicians to perform their violent tasks so these earlier which were um, limited really to newspaper reports have now become the stuff of fiction and some of it is producing some really fascinating arcs because not only are we looking at the interior lives of people who would normally not feature in fiction at all and still does not when it comes to Indian writing in English. I mean, other than Vikram Chandra, I can't really think of any really fantastic, gigantic, gigantic, I don't mean in terms of length, but in terms of ambition, a book that looks at uh, the underworld, for example, or at criminals and then looks at individual characters there. So there are, there's quite a lot of book, not quite a lot, but several interesting books that are being written in in that kind of space. These I am particularly interested in. Equally, you know, voices which you could not hear before because they were suppressed by the mainstream are now beginning to be heard. You have Dalit writers, you have Manoranjan Bapari, for example, who's leading the charge in now writing about... Yeah, there's gunpowder in there. Yes, and he's, he's written about close to 20 novels in Bangla already. And, uh, you know, he it truly represents how... Uh, you can now finally, in, in, you're in that happy space where people from no matter which section of society they're from, people are able to write their own stories and be heard. It no longer needs somebody else to go in and write their stories for them, as used to be the case earlier. So we are seeing wide divergence in voices. And quite frankly, many of these voices are writing about such raw and authentic experiences that the MFA school of writing, which tends to cerebralize things a lot, looks quite pale and anodyne in comparison sometimes. So um, I think this particular excerpt that you spoke was very interesting for me because I, I was, of course, going to actually ask you a question about this gunpowder in the air and your experience uh, and if you intend to translate any more of Manoranjan's work. But I was also uh, very happy to uh, hear you mention Vikram Chandra because I'm interviewing him later tonight. And uh, it was just a very happy coincidence. I'll actually park my question about this gunpowder in the air and ask you a question on Haber-Jaber law or writing, uh, you know, for translating for children. How How is the experience different? And of course, this has nothing to do with the thematic discussion that we're having today on, on uh, Bengali literature and, and, and Calcutta thereon. 
but i'm just very fascinated uh, fascinated by how is the journey different for you uh, when you translate for children well the thing about children's literature is that it's perhaps the trickiest of all kinds of literature when you are trying to take a book written in one era and republish it in another because children's lives change so much more right and their markers change so much more that sometimes what seemed very exciting to one generation of kids is going to be quite boring for the next generation right their worlds are perhaps the fastest to change there's always that that concern that you know something that you read as a child and enjoyed might not be any good uh, you know might not be a great experience for experience for children reading today and yet you are hanging on to your nostalgia or your memory and you think that oh just because i enjoyed it in my time everyone after me must enjoy it in their time as well which is absolutely ridiculous expectation so first and foremost you have to see whether and you know equally the editors and publishers who are commissioning when it comes to translations are also looking at their own memories of what they enjoyed so it's very very tricky and uh, something like habajab law or hojabara law in the original therefore can be um, a huge uh, step in the dark because either your translation will prove that yes the work was <clears throat> so fantastic and quote timeless unquote that it works with readers at any point of time or you may feel oh no it really was firmly located in a particular era and culture and it does not appear attractive at all later on so it's a, it's an interesting test and there is no way i think anyone can predict beforehand whether it's going to be uh, accepted or not i mean uh, other than uh, habajabullah for example i've worked on other children's stories i've worked on uh, you know one of my favorites is a character named kolaboti who was written by moti nondi who was who i think is the world's greatest writer of sports fiction by the way nobody has written a fiction set in the field in the field well um, pun unintended in the field of sports with such um, depth and passion anywhere in the world i mean people have written the occasional novel but he almost every not almost a large part of his oeuvre is actually set in the football fields and cricket fields and gymnasiums and boxing rings and running tracks of lower middle class bengal at that none of his characters is from the upper middle class except this one kolaboti kolaboti is a girl in a school she lives in a house of males a mother has it appears has passed on and she lives with her grandfather even her father is not around it's her grandfather and her uncle whom she lives with and she is um, a remarkable uh, character she plays cricket she is um, quite a mischief maker at school but also also loved by her teachers because she is very very bright and she does great things and i was very interested in knowing whether kolaboti would appeal kolaboti was written in an in a time in the 90s but she was written in a pre digital pre internet era and i was very interested in knowing whether she would appeal to read, you know young readers um, in the post digital world or in the uh, in the middle of the digital world so i don't know if she has scholastic published the book but um, i was quite pleased at least to get the book out there and maybe have some people reading it so yeah children's children's stories are a different ball game really i'm hoping at some time to be able to uh, do an anthology like i did for stories for adults for children as well from bengali that would be absolutely lovely and i find increasingly and and largely because you know i mean i run a reading community i find people 
obviously are more frantic about looking for books for their children and not really finding something closer home and of course all of us grew with enid britton's and roald dahl's and uh, and uh, or a ruskin bond or obviously like a tinkle or a panchatantra but but then there's so many of these untapped stories of course that that really deserve to be told and enjoyed i think one question that i have arunava i'm just shifting gears from uh, writing calcutta to reading calcutta calcutta also a very interesting city because of the whole culture of reading right and and i don't know if that's because of the whole uh, the kind of intellectual uh, you know sort of personality we ascribe to the populace uh, that this city has but in general calcutta is a very fascinating city because of say college street or these bookstores or the calcutta book fair and and i've lived for three years there and i really and, and i've lived in multiple cities in india i am yet to live in a city that loves reading as much as calcutta does what do you uh, and what do you think of the reading calcutta versus writing calcutta very curious have faced the wall um uh, where do uh, writers who write in bangla versus writers who write in english or uh, uh, or or writers or, or you know like other writers from the world today stand um in in terms of popularity amongst the reading populace okay so first of all i have to point out that i've been i've not lived in calcutta for over 20 years now so i cannot claim any authentic understanding of current reading practices or habits over there I, it is also a little sad that we have to think about reading something so um, basic an activity as reading as an intellectual pursuit uh, to me reading is not an intellectual pursuit at all it is a very natural normal and and kind of middle level way of interacting with with the world around you but having said that somehow uh, the act of reading or possessing books has acquired this intellectual dimension which i am very very uncomfortable about it seems to um, you know it's like virtue signaling look i read i'm i'm special uh, and you know we'll never get anywhere that way everyone should ideally be reading and not feeling special about it yeah so i guess i don't know that it was any different in calcutta when i grew up from other cities i mean the people i met afterwards who were from bombay or bangalore or delhi were all readers um, you know my in my generation so i think it was a generational thing i mean we grew up without television certainly there was no internet so what did you do other than play with your friends and you know telephones were hard to come by so you weren't chatting with them you read and books were widely available all homes had books and so in it was quite normal but there was one very interesting practice in calcutta which i think contributed greatly to reading which is that it was quite the done thing to give books as gifts at birthdays at weddings at uh, wedding anniversaries at any any parties if you had to take a gift it was quite the normal thing to take a book and that i think had a said a great deal about the fact that both the recipient as well as the uh, giver of the gift were clearly in in a world where books were seen as valuable things not not expensive beyond reach but valuable and you know a measure of your esteem if you give someone a book it means you cared for them it was not sort of unthought through casual gift because you were also making a choice which book to give which writer has the person read this already so there was a lot of love and attention and care that went into making that choice and it led to people having books without necessarily having bought them 
themselves. I mean, every time uh, a wedding inevitably led to a cachet of about anywhere between 100 and 200 books. So, you know, married life started with the collection of, say, 100 books. That's fantastic, isn't it? So I think this was a practice that has sadly died. And I'm very, very sad that this is no longer uh, the norm anymore. People now are, do classy things like taking bottles of wine and so on and dessert. But it, would be lovely, but it would be lovely, even we do, but it would be lovely if we continue to take, um, give uh, books instead as gifts. But yeah, <clears throat> I think the reading culture was strong because you had books at home. <clears throat> you grew up with books at home. And if there's a if um, if uh, you know millennials, those who were born around the turn of the century and afterwards, are not reading today, it is because their parents, many of whom in urban centers, have moved away from their own home. So the joint family kind of gave way to nuclear families right after liberalization, as uh, employment opportunities arose and people moved out of their own cities or could earn enough to start living on their own. And I feared that this post-liberalization generation, those who got good jobs and made money and suddenly started living much grander lifestyles than their parents, did not see books as part of their lives. So, you know, I teach under 18 and 19-year-olds, and I find that many of them, while they love reading and they want to read books, they have grown up in homes without books. And that is really sad. I agree with you. I I grew up reading from a very young age. And, and now that you've put this in perspective, I always had books around me. Somebody was always reading. There was always a book to be picked up from a bookshelf. So absolutely. Arunava, thank you so much, you know, for um, this conversation. It's been absolutely fascinating. Before, you know, we go, uh, a couple of last questions. The first question is uh, is to do with, I think, a little bit of my own personal journey. Is that, you know, in good writing in India, right? Uh, and good Indian writing is something that's very difficult to tap into um, if you don't reach out for translation. So Prakriti and I, when we started this project, we, of course, know she knows Gujarati or I know Punjabi and, you know, we have exposure to a couple of languages, but really Indian literature is so vast in its imagination. Is there a community of, say, translators, which you think are today uh, doing uh, good work to bring um, certain writers or cultures out of a vernacular imagination into, into just a more accessible uh, language, which is English for us? I do know Nandini Krishnan has recently done some good work on Perum and Murugan, but if there are any translators, you know, apart from in Bangla that you have read or recommend, we would love to hear. Yeah, well, I know the number of translators is growing, growing quickly, and that is fantastic. So certainly as a result, much more of a hidden uh, literature is coming, as you said, into an accessible space. I'll contest the term Indian literature because I'm not sure there is such a thing as Indian literature. There are many literatures from the geography of India. We happen to be in a politically uh, unitary system and therefore we are a single market. But we are really culturally more like Europe than, than let's say, the UK or the USA. We are not as monolithic or as homogeneous at all. So it needs, um, and, you know, we are in that unique space of having more than uh, a dozen languages in which very flourishing, thriving literatures of their own. So 
it's a treasure trove. I mean, you know, we can despair at it or we can say, wow, we have enough books being written and that have been written that can ensure that we can uh, enrich the literatures of every language in India with translations for years and decades and centuries to come. So I see it as a fantastic situation to take advantage of. Fortunately, publishers too are very aware of this and are taking advantage of it and have really added translations to their lists in a way that now makes it possible for the reader to go and read uh, contemporary, modern and classic works from different non-English languages of India in English translations. Unfortunately, translations are mostly limited to English right now. Um, there's almost... There's very little translation happening between the different languages of India. And that's something that needs to be perhaps fixed. But um, I don't know about the community in the sense of whether the translators are working together as a group or community. Maybe not. But as individuals, they are they have added to a mass of translators. And you now have really excellent translators working from many different languages. And I'm particularly envious of uh, translators who work from Malayalam because they are working with some of perhaps the best contemporary writing in fiction in India right now. I mean, if you read the books that are now being written in Malayalam and in, if you're fortunate enough to read them in translation, it is thanks to the fact that there is a growing uh, number of translators who are throwing themselves into it. I mean, you had Devika and Ministry originally. Now you have uh, Shanaz Habib, who's been translating Benjamin. You have Jayashri Kalatil, who's translated two fantastic books, including what for me has been the book of the year so far, S. Harish's um, Misha or Mustache. And um, you're getting great translations from Tamil as well. And not just Penuel Murugan, fortunately, others too. Kannada. Uh, in fact, if anything, I would, I really want to see more translations coming out of Hindi and Gujarati and Punjabi and Urdu. I don't think there's enough translations coming out of those languages. Um, and certainly Bangla is going strong. It has been at, um, at the at the vanguard in terms of translated literatures of India from a very early time, um, from the 1980s onwards. But it's still going strong with a number of new translators coming into, uh, into the space. And I'm very happy and, um, that they are. And, you know, we, they are also looking not just at fiction, but also at poetry, and at uh, and they're beginning to look at non-fiction as well. There's a huge body of work in the Indian languages of non-fiction, some of which really need to be translated into other languages for everybody else to read. So it's very, very, it's a very exciting time for translations and translators, no doubt about it. That is lovely. Thank you so much. And uh, before we sign off the last question, what is one book uh, from your own list of works would you recommend? Uh, today i know all i mean i know there's there's literally a deluge of them but if i had to tell people that okay uh, once you uh, you know sign out of whatever your spotify podcast or your google podcast or whatever you know what is that one book that you need to go and buy right now and definitely read what would that book be yeah well, it depends on what stage of their reading readers are at. But I would say that perhaps one book I'd love for them to read would be my translation of Ashapurna Devi's uh, short stories. It's a, it's, I am particularly fascinated by her writing uh, in the sense that she tells so many truths in such a powerful way without, without in any way sort of softening the blow or without in any way trying to make look people better than they are. She brings out the seamy side of individuals um, in, a, in a most ruthless 
and yet bloodless fashion. And um, her books had just don't date. I mean, no, irrespective of when she wrote the stories or what the specific material circumstances are, we recognize ourselves with so much fear and sometimes revulsion in her stories that it is perhaps, um, you know, they make us very, very uncomfortable. These are stories that you do not walk away from uh, feeling good. You feel very, very troubled and you look deeply into your own lives. Most of all, you introspect a lot and you you acknowledge that we as people have are not only mean but we have become more mean because of the circumstances in which we live so you know as they say art is meant to bring comfort to the troubled and trouble the comforted so in this case i'm going for the latter so now i'm going to be greedy um, because i just absolutely love this answer which one of your books would you really really love to see as a cinematic adaptation Oh, that's a good question. Well, one of them has actually been bought for cinematic adaptation. It's a, it's a novel named Moom by Bani Basu, which is set in a, a Marwadi family and a Marwadi society in Calcutta, which is unusual again for a Bengali writer to write about. So that's definitely going in there. But the one I would really like is novel I'd mentioned earlier, uh, When the Time is Right, Tithi Dor in Bangla, which as I told you was set in the 1940s. And it is a vast look at uh, a time and a space through the through the lives through the arcs of a single family but it's not family drama in that sense because it is really um, a father and his five daughters and the youngest daughter is the central character so it's her journey a, a very soft gentle person she loves books and then she does that very bengali thing of falling in love with a professor but it really uh, brings out um, I don't know in some way it, it's, it fascinates me so much and it's also written in a very visual despite going deeply into the interior lives of the characters it is written with enormous visual and uh, sensory inputs that to me I think makes for a very in fact not even a film I think it would make a very nice long long playing series which are quite the thing these days but you need patience to watch it you know it's not going to be cliffhangers and much drama so I, you know, as I talk about it, I'm beginning to have second thoughts. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful, Arunava. Thank you so much for speaking to us. And uh, for everyone listening in, all of Arunava's books are available on Amazon, Flipkart, at independent bookstores near you. Uh, do give um, and, uh, you know, these are read, go through his Goodreads uh, account. Uh, it's absolutely eye-opening and mind-boggling and a perspective that you often do not see uh, because we are unfortunately only constrained to very commercial or popular fiction. Once again, Arunava, thank you for speaking to us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to meet Tune into us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Ghana, and HT Smartcast. <laughs>